1: Oftentimes, life can seem like a novel. It seems like one story after another, and many times it seems like endless tragedy with glimpses of bliss in between. For some of us, it's a mundane path that we walk, and we wonder, why are we here? What's next? What's it all for? And then there are those that live in the happy zone, the imaginative place, the, the part of life where they keep dreaming the dream, and sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. And there are people that start to discover that there is something between the layers, something that actually exists between the spaces of the words and the events that we all experience. There are individuals that discover there's a magic and a synchronicity to all of life, that it is always guided, that there are many layers to life, and that we have the opportunity to discover those layers, not by getting busier, but sometimes by getting more still. And in that stillness, we are moved and we are guided, and we are taken on a vast adventure that leads us between now and when. My guest today is Dr. Richard House, and he has written a book called Between Now and When, How My Death Made My Life Worth Living. It is a true story that relates a transcendent journey from earthly suffering and addiction into the rarely glimpsed super-reality of higher dimensions. Dr. Richard House has been practicing medicine for more than 40 years, first as a traditional medical doctor and then for the past 20 years as an acupuncturist using the soccer for energetic healing. His travels have taken him around the world three times and to most of the United States for meditative and higher dimensional work. He lives in North Carolina on an organic farm with his family and enjoys beekeeping and animal husbandry, he has written a wonderfully delightful book, and it will have me move into the places to start to look at life in a little different perspective. Welcome, Dr. House, to 1111 Talk Radio.
2: Well, thank you so much, Semron. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: You know, it's a delightful book in many cases. Um, I think probably it made me chuckle so much at the dysfunction that we all live, and how beautiful it is. We don't really think it's that beautiful when we're going through it, but when we look back, oftentimes we can chuckle and we can see the magic and we can see a path that was there all along. So I'd love for you to talk first about what had you write this book and, and what you believe the real message is through this book.
2: Well, I'd be delighted. Uh, Yes. Uh, I think one of the things I'd like to emphasize is that each one of us is on a a transcendental journey, even though we may not recognize it at the time. It it is true that some of us uh, are led by the hand on a journey that actually takes place uh, in this world, you know, and I certainly did go around the world several times, and uh, but... It is an inner journey. There's absolutely no question about that. And even if we're living the so-called mundane daily uh, life, uh, there are some things going inside that lead us higher and higher and into uh, different dimensions, if we allow it. But I guess I should start at the beginning, because I knew at a very early age that uh, life was going to be a bit different for me. Um, I was... (laughs) Uh, seven years old, and was standing underneath uh, a tree that uh, my grandfather had planted uh, years before. And I experienced uh, the incredible uh, vastness of uh, God himself, or herself if you prefer. But uh, as a child, this wondrous event of being one with everything, something that I think the Buddhists call Satori, was uh, so unexpected uh, that it really uh, was hard for me to put together that uh, I was also just a little kid. And so that was the beginning of a journey uh, that uh, led me in very wonderful places.
1: Well, and you were seven at the time, and you had a sense um, in, in being that vastness, which I think oftentimes many children probably experience the, the oneness that exists because they do live such an internal world even at that point. Even though they're exploring what's outside, so much of their their um, introspection is really from that place of interconnectedness. But yours went a little further. There was an awareness um, of, of that vast presence and being a part of it, and you actually named it as well. And talk about what happened when you when you spoke about it in that manner to the big people that were outside.
2: <laughs> yeah. Boy, that, that frames it really well, too. Uh, yeah, well, uh, so, while I'm experiencing this, my my desire was to find a word for who I was. That was my question. Who am I? And the uh, the answer came in the form of a, a name uh, of all things, Iken, I-C-H-E-N. And I said, st- I started calling myself that, and uh, in a day or two, my mom and I have to say that I was uh, raised in a, a wonderful family, very caring people. My father, a dentist; my mother, uh, an academician. But uh, I start when I started calling myself Iken. My mom kind of looked down at me and said, "What's this Iken business? Your name is Richard," and that was the end of that. <laughs> 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 but mm. that, is, uh, that sense, that name, was uh, a part of me from that time forward.
1: And so once that name was kind of dismissed, um, you say it was a part of you from that time forward. Did you continue to have that experience of expansiveness, or did you adopt kind of like many of us do as children, that view of the world that is very uh, pigeonholed and, and much more limited than, than the expansive field that we actually are?
2: That's a hard question to answer. I think the best way to say it is that is sort of like a veil descended, where, where that portion of myself was sort of uh, sectioned off. But I was kind of aware of it, uh, even though uh, I was truly a kid. And uh, so to answer your question, I was mostly uh, removed from that awareness and was just a kid growing up in Southern California until I was 13. And at that point, uh, I had the first really mystical message that came forward, uh, sort of a, you know, it's a little hard to say. It wasn't words exactly but i I like to call it brain mail, where it was sort of like I received a message that I perceived was from God, and this message uh, was somewhat alarming, I must must say, because the message was, you will die at the age of 33. And uh, after that message was delivered, uh, you know, it made my heart race just a little bit, but there was this feeling of joy that came with it, this feeling of almost excitement. And so I knew that it wasn't sort of um, a dire message. It was just like information. It was an odd feeling.
1: (laughs) So I have two questions around that part of the book. Uh, when, When a message like that comes, or when any message tends to come, for many people, and it comes in as a thought or brain mail. It's so easy to number one discount the message, um, to number two think that we are a little crazy because the thought came into our heads, or or, or number three just let it float through as one of the sixty thousand random thoughts that go through our brains in a in a few minute period. So, so how how did you when you got the brain mail, or when you got these different messages throughout the book? There were certain ones that you really latched onto that you knew were significant in a different way than other thoughts that went through your head. Can you talk a little bit about why you knew the specialness of that message, or some of the other messages that you talk about in the book?
2: Oh yeah, uh, I think probably the emotional state that comes along with it is is very useful to gauge. In other words. Uh, Anyone out there, if, if, if a message comes in and it's accompanied by joy, bliss, excitement, I think that is a message that you should pay attention to. On the other hand, if there's fear or um, a sense that, uh, that this message is leading you someplace dangerous or unwanted, then it should be discarded. So that's the number one thing. But the other thing that I noticed with this message and many of the other ones that I had is that it was not likely coming from my subconscious, because who in the world would give me a, uh, you know, why would I come up with that? (laughs) Die at 33, my goodness. Uh, But in terms of what I did with the message, you know, I pondered it for probably a half hour and uh, thought, well, isn't that interesting? And uh then I picked up my skateboard and kept right on going you know you you just can't take stuff like that and uh um sort of wrap your life around it or your mind around it so from that point, I was pretty much uh uh just played life at, on its own terms uh but I was a good student and uh eventually was admitted to Butler University. Which, by the way, I just visited yesterday. was uh, in Indiana. It's very cold there, by the way. It was nineteen degrees. But uh, mm. Butler's a good school, and uh, uh, I discovered two things there that really uh, charted the course of my later life. The first was was my first experience with romantic love. Oh, mm. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful! And the second was I. Uh, was introduced to my great friend at the time, Jack Daniels. I learned how to drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, those two. Jack things, has quite a few friends. <laughs> yeah,
2: you're right. Old Jack, man, he is something. But uh, those two things captured my interest more than English 101. <laughs> and hmm. so... Even though I had been a good student, I found that my grades did suffer. And what I'm leading up to is another message. Um, as time went on, after a couple of years at school, um, I had decided to be a dentist like my father, but I had a uh, grade point average of 2.3, which was just barely good enough to get into med- or, uh, dental school, maybe but i was in holcomb gardens and all of a sudden one of these messages came and the message was quite simply you should be a physician and not a dentist now once again that couldn't have been coming from my subconscious because i'd never wanted to be a doctor i was afraid of sick people i didn't like the sight of blood i was terrified of hospitals so that one was not coming from me And the other thing was that on the logical end of it, I didn't have the grades to even begin to think about going to medical school. And the message was uh, accompanied by, once again, this excitement. I jumped up and I said, okay, okay, I will. I'll do it. You know, that's the kind of thing it was.
1: So for typical people, when, when an idea comes along, whether it is, Something like going to medical school or even later in your story, where it is you know moved to Hawaii or traveled to Australia, or all the different things that occurred, doubt tends to be the piece that pulls people back, or they become uh they lack the confidence in themselves to even move in that direction, or they talk themselves out of those things. What about those experiences? those particular moments of thought let you really believe in that excitement that you were feeling that it was even a possibility or that something was there for you.
2: You know, I think when when the divine starts uh, interacting with us, which it happens if we allow it, we have to trust at the beginning. But, um, you know, I like some of the, the politicians that say, yeah, trust, but verify. And so what happened was, uh, you know, of course, I did my part. I uh, resigned from the fraternity and didn't see my girlfriend as much. I did continue my relationship with Jack Daniels. But uh, I started studying like crazy and got a 4.0 and so on, and eventually was admitted to medical school with a GPA of 2.7, you know, which is fairly remarkable. But I presented myself well at the interview, and they could tell I really wanted to be a doctor. But when that succeeded, then I looked back at that message and said, you know, that was almost impossible. I'm starting to believe these messages. (laughs) You see my point?
1: Well, you know, at at, at, at the age that you were, you know, I don't know that, that generally in those age ranges we're even aware enough to... To connect that there are messages, or to be in tune with ourselves enough to to see them, and and to even consider um, the possibilities that are there, because we are in the the 3D world, we're engaged in you know those those outer things that keep leading us in different directions, whether it be love or Jack Daniels or any other form of outer influence, and yet. There was a part of you that kind of followed, followed a path. Albeit, was it conscious or unconscious? Because I think oftentimes people don't realize we're on a path. We're being guided. We're being led. And sometimes we don't even have a clue. And we're still protected. We're still uh, being supported, even in our in our unconsciousness or our dimness. Uh, our light, or the light, is still guiding us. Oh, that was well said, yes.
2: I agree with that 100%. And what I'm going to do is show you some more of how that worked uh, by fast-forwarding a, a whole bunch uh, and saying, as I describe in the book in some detail, of uh, I did become a successful uh, surgeon and uh, put together the usual life uh, with um, a wife and a daughter, a lovely daughter and of course I had a, a Porsche in the garage, the whole business. But I also started getting sick from my addictive behavior and And we're gonna happened...
1: leave we're gonna leave them at a cliffhanger right there so that okay. we can take a quick break. <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> so bet. that we can
1: come back between now and when. <laughs> I am with my wonderful guest, Dr. Richard House, and so we are discussing his new book, Between Now and When, How My Death Made My Life Worth Living. This is a true story where the author first experienced the oneness of existence at age seven. As a teen, he heard a mystical voice that foretold his death at age 33, a prophecy that left him on death's doorstep at exactly that age. His surrender complete, He was propelled into the fourth dimension where his body was miraculously healed. Dr. House describes the wonders he encountered along the way as his expanding consciousness revealed the metaphysical underpinnings of the visible world and why we're in it. You can find out more about Richard House at richardhousemd.com and more about his book, Between Now and When How My Death Made My Life Worth Living. I urge you to connect with Richard at richardhousemd.com. We'll be right back after this break.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living, 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Made My Life Worth Living is a true story by Dr. Richard Howe. It takes you on a journey through both the ordinary and the extraordinary. It allows you to discover that we very much experience a 3D existence while also in the midst of fourth and fifth dimensional realities. It allows you to understand that we are constantly guided, even when we don't realize or don't feel like we have a clue. It lets us know that the dysfunction in our lives the places that we dip and that we fall, the moments that feel tragic and sad and hopeless are always met with the complete opposite, where life, love and bliss let us be in the midst of rainbows while we are in the midst of our thunderstorms. So welcome back, Richard, and I'd love for you to pick up where you left off. You were talking about how you you became the doctor and you you started to have that life, and yet Um, Some things did happen. Um, I'd love for you to go into some of the experience of that prophetic voice that came at seven years old that told you that you would, in fact, die at 33, and some of what happened and what you discovered. So please, take it away.
2: Yes. Well, I had put together a life that I think, uh, in my view at least, was pretty darn good, The, the rich life of a doctor and so on. But there was something missing that I was trying to discover through uh, the use of alcohol. And uh, as time went on, my friend became uh, a great enemy, as it turns out. And I ended up um, in the hospital with a diagnosis of uh, terminal liver failure and uh, for any doctors out in the audience uh, the exact diagnosis was bleeding esophageal varices and so i was bleeding out uh, and the doctors were putting blood in you know i had all my friends donated blood on my behalf when they found out Mm -hmm. how direly sick i was and i'd had about 18 transfusions but When the lab reports were all in, uh, the doctor, who is a friend of mine, of course, um, came in and he said, listen, my friend, there really is no remedy for what you have, and I really don't see any point in continuing the the blood transfusions. If we stop them, you'll die in a few days. Why don't you say your goodbyes? And so that was the deal we struck. And at about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, is uh, where the story really gets interesting, because I felt for the first time this incredible sense of comfort. And it was only then that I realized how much I'd been suffering, Uh, Mm. the, the huge sense of guilt, the physical pain of where I was. Uh, the fact that I had left my uh, family at uh, loose ends, you know, this, all of it was just awful. And now I'm feeling comfortable. I'm feeling this comfort that feels like love. And this feeling sort of magnified until I was feeling bliss and I felt like I was wrapped in the arms of love. And at that moment, uh, As I'm looking down at this yellow body uh, that's in the ICU, I was somehow removed from that. And it was later that I understood that I had been propelled into a different dimension. But uh, once again, I had a message. And this was such a wonderful message. It was, you will heal and work for me. And I knew that it was from God. And if I had been able to, I would have saluted and said, yes, sir. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, there was absolutely no hesitation, even though I was in this beautiful state. Uh, And I want to stop here and say that it is my very firm belief that every death is as beautiful and wonderful as the one I was experiencing. And I've heard other people that have had near-death experiences relate the same feeling that dying is wonderful. And so I, I, in my practice, I oftentimes will tell patients when it's appropriate that uh, dying is perfectly safe. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: but and and do you any... think
1: that the experience that occurred, you know, so often we get into this rut of, trying to mantra our way out, you know, going to every workshop and doing every bit of healing and using our minds to dive into every possible crevice and corner to fix what is so wrong with our lives. And in that moment on the hospital bed, was it that you just went into complete surrender? Was it that there was no thought was it that the heart took over, or was it an act of grace, in your opinion?
2: I would say it's a little bit of all of that. Uh, the, I think the primary thing was I said, okay, I give up. You know, because it had been a fight. We all fight. Uh, and When I said, I give up, I'm ready to go, that's when grace stepped in. And I was elevated beyond. You know, surrender is so important. Uh, we actually have to surrender every day, I think, because our little ego mind would rather run the show. But there's something much grander and more vast that will step right in if we allow it. And that's how we end up doing and working for a uh, higher uh, purpose, which is exactly what happened to me. Now, after I got out of that position, of course, I <laughs> it was not all... Uh, Roses, I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, when I finally walked out of the, oh, I did walk out of the hospital three or four days later. My, you know, my physicians were absolutely astounded. I mean, my lab reports had all come back. My yellow skin had turned back to normal. My liver was functioning fine. You know, those things don't happen. And so I realized mm-hmm. that when I was in the, uh, this other dimension that my body had been truly healed. It was an absolute amazing uh, phenomenon, but I was faced with lots of trouble. You know, uh, my wife was uh, in had fallen in love with someone else, and so my marriage was falling apart. You know, I had financial problems. It was a, it was a mess. But there was this other thing, this exciting feeling that I was not only being guided, but that I was a part of. The um, the whole universe in some way, and that 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 feeling that I had had at age seven was part of me once again. And uh, what happened then is, in the middle of the night one night, I'm sitting in my empty house that's for sale, and uh, but there was one couch in there, and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking at the tile floors and or the the tiles on the floor. And all of a sudden, those floor tiles became luminescent with this incredible beauty that jumped out. And I was just, I stood up and I looked and I couldn't believe it. How could floor tiles be so beautiful? And, of course, I still had that logical doctor mind. And I'm thinking, my God, are you nuts? This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my introduction to... What I later called uh, the beautiful land. Mm-hmm. And, and my friends, I was to discover that that beautiful land is everywhere, and if you will uh, accept this, every when. That it actually is a part of the uh, infrastructure of what we take to be ordinary life. Now, with that first experience, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have that awareness, but. Uh, as time went on, uh, I did all the things that one would expect. I gave away all my stuff, uh, I quit my practice, uh, and I started spending more and more time in that other dimension. And here's something else I'd like listeners to know, that when you are in that state, uh, or let me put it, make it more personal, Uh, when I was in that state, I noticed that those worries that I had had—you know, the financial problems, the the relationship difficulties—I could think of them, but there was no emotion connected with it. it. It didn't give you know. There was no guilt. There was no worry. There was no fear. There was no suffering. And what, instead, and isn't what I,
1: that the place that we're, we? we shall aspire to is to really come to a place where emotion can happen, but there's a neutrality of thought around it uh, because it's the, it's the combination of that heavy thinking or worry with the heavy emotionality that actually creates that field of, of the 3d field that we see in front of us that, it, that again, affirms that very thing. And so, by going into that place of neutrality, whether you did it consciously or unconsciously, is that what allowed you to stay connected to that fourth dimensional plate where new creation or magic and mysticism and synchronicity could take place?
2: The short answer to that is yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, initially, uh, I was given those things. In other words, I could just be walking down the street and um, I would jump into that. And everything that I saw was just filled with beauty and wonder and and fragrances and and so on. But uh, eventually I had to work to get into those states. And, you know, this is the way it is. Uh, Our uh, guiding hand that is always ready to lead us uh, will... Take us where we need to go so that we don't do not have to design it and so all I had to do once again is surrender now what I did you know as as the book goes into I ended up uh, in Hawaii meditating i that was where the guiding hand led me who I called my captain was to meditation and uh, so I started I started meditating, and uh, in Hawaii I found this condo right on the beach. Um, It was sort of a a lifelong dream of mine to live at the beach, and boy, there's no better place than Hawaii for that. But instead of doing what I had anticipated, I ended up just staying inside and closing the drapes and sitting in a chair for, for hours and hours and hours every day and all through the night. For six months, and I guarantee you that if you meditate like that for six months, you will start having some interesting experiences.:
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to back up a little bit, because to me, there was a very profound piece in the book that I, I think would be a strong message for a lot of people, and it was after you got out of the hospital, you started going to AA, and that is actually where you found your, uh, what you called your, your first and only true spiritual teacher and it was someone else that was in AA. And I, I found that incredibly beautiful that that our teachers end up showing up everywhere. And oftentimes it will be the person that has walked a similar path and has come across a similar awareness or been led to the things that you then need to be led to. Can you talk a little bit about finding that guidance and that solace through a, a human Uh, teacher that helped to lead you further along the path that ended up supporting your journey to Hawaii and Australia and India and so forth?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, (laughs) When I started having these crazy experiences, now, this is also good to understand. I had no background in spiritual matters. I had not read about anyone going on a spiritual quest. I didn't know anything. Uh, I didn't even know that Buddha was in India or that India was the center of consciousness uh, for a lot of spiritual traditions. I had absolutely no idea that, so I didn't have any contact other than maybe the Presbyterian youth group. That was about it. So uh, I had no context for these the experiences. Now, the reason I started going to AA is that even though I knew I had been cured of my uh, physical malady The the addictive part required a little work on my part and one day I thought to myself wouldn't it be nice to have a nice beer on this hot day and I thought really after all of that and so <laughs> I went to my first AA meeting and uh, and stayed in AA for um, a year or more and did absolutely everything that they recommended I went to meetings all the darn time, and I started uh, sponsoring folks and and getting into the spirit of the thing. But one day uh, there was a guy that was speaking that was talking about spiritual matters, and I thought, well, maybe he knows about these experiences because they had continued and gotten stronger. And so uh, I, I cornered him after a meeting, and I said, Bill, I'm having some strange things going on, and I think you might be able to tell me more about it. And so he handed me his address, and he said, be there on Sunday at 2 o'clock.
1: <laughs>
2: mm. And so uh, I sat down with him, and he was, I'll have to tell you, he was um, maybe 19 years old. And here I am, 33. And by the way, that prophecy certainly ended up being true. I was 33 when, when I was admitted to the hospital. But uh, Bill was younger than I. And uh, he, was, he worked in a factory, he had a wife and a small child. And you would never know the depths of someone until you sit down and start communicating on that level. And pretty soon I realized that he knew exactly what I was going through. And he didn't even have to talk much. All he did, he did uh, two things he gave me a book on meditation, The Art of Meditation by Joel Goldsmith. And he told me about uh, a spiritual master named Meher Baba, who uh, said he was the avatar of our age, or Christ consciousness returned to earth. And uh, those are the two things that he did for me. And and so I started a meditative practice based on that, and I met with Bill... uh, for the next uh, few months and that was enough to get centered in the notion that what I was experiencing was not a psychosis (laughs) and uh, so I started reading spiritual books but I never really got into it uh, to the extent that I uh, followed a path you know I wanted to discover it all myself and maybe that was hubris I'm not sure But uh, it was only after I started meditating that I started understanding how this world works and and how God uh, interacts with us, and the fact that, as you say, everything that happens has purpose and rationality, that there is no randomness to our lives, and that everything that happens uh, is carefully designed. You know, this is an amazing concept for me. And I also uh, intuitively understood that we are here more than once. You know, and I have to stop here, if you'll permit me.
1: I'm going to actually let us take a break right now, and then I'll have you continue from there. My guest today is Dr. Richard House, and he is the author of Between Now and When. You can find out more about him at richardhouse.com. Dot com richardhousemd.com so definitely visit his website and find out more about this and all of the things that he is doing in addition you can visit my website and discover my books conversations with the universe your journey to enlightenment and your journey to love in addition to the free 1111 magazine and all 1111 talk radio archives you can find that and more at imsimmering.com we'll be right back with dr richard house
2: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
0: Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network.
1: and some slowdowns, some fast uh, driving, and some uh, interesting friends, uh, such as Jack Daniel. Dr. Richard House discovered a redemptive and transformative journey of discovery. He was led by hand and heart on a magical journey around the world, Hawaii, Fiji, Australia, India, London, and eventually New York City. He describes the wonders he encountered along the way as his expanding consciousness revealed the metaphysical underpinnings of the visible world, and why we're in it. You can find out more about this true story in his book, Between Now and When, How My Death Made My Life Worth Living. Find out more about Richard House at richardhousemd.com. So I'd love to go back to that topic of surrender. You know, it's, it's often uh, when we think about surrender, we, we think about kind of letting go of stuff and feeling resigned to life and, and, and having to, to give up things, and yet there's this other part of surrender, which is almost surrendering into ourselves and another aspect of what life can be and a newness. Talk a little bit about surrender in the context of your experience and how you view it.
2: Oh, great. Um, When I was uh, meditating in Hawaii, uh, one day I woke up in the grips of one of the deepest depressions, in fact, the only depression that I'd ever had in my entire life and when i woke up i mean it was i was depressed Every, everywhere i looked i saw nothing but blackness and and negativity and i thought well now here wait a minute i've been i've been meditating i've left my entire life behind i'm following the divine path and i'm depressed you know wh- why is this have i done something wrong and um it really was a, a, a rude awakening And as the days went on, and I'm crying, literally, I have trouble even going to the grocery store without tears. And and then all of a sudden it cleared. And when that depression cleared, I was back on the mountain. It was this euphoric mountain of brilliance and light. And I thought, well, I'm never going there again. But, my friend, uh, of course I did go back, and I was again. Depressed, and it was absolutely awful. And this uh, cycle of uh, euphoria and depression went on for um, a good week or so, maybe longer. It seemed like forever. But one day, uh, at about midnight, I I got up and I and I'm terribly upset, and I walked outside, and it was pouring down rain. And you know, I just all of a sudden got it, and I went down on my knees, and I said. All right, God, give me more. I can take it.
1: Mm. And, and that moment. You know, when, when, when we Go think ahead. about that surrender and, and what you've spoken about, and, and particularly the statement you made about, you know, you didn't follow any path and it was all about experience, I believe we're in a time now where that really is the only path. There is no guru to follow, there is no special technique. To utilize, it really is the immersion in one's own experience and the devotion and commitment to oneself. And that the de- depression that you speak of, and that that um, kind of high and low wave that you you took, it, it almost makes me think of you know the Hindu's philosophy of sanskaras and how we bring in generational. Things and how we've soaked up collective emotion and our own lives that are coming forward. What are your thoughts about reincarnation and how this played into some of your life experiences and the connection between the different dimensions?
2: Oh, beautiful. Yes, I didn't know anything about sanskars then, But uh, later on, I would understand that what I had been going through was a purification, you know, that all the sanskars that I had acquired and in the, the recent past life uh, there, uh, were being uh, sort of purged, uh, allowing me to enter this new dimension and this new path uh, that had been carefully crafted, even though I knew nothing about it. But as I was, eventually I, of course, got out of that depressive state, and after I surrendered, there, for the remainder of my time, right up to this very minute, I've never been in a state of depression. And I have this sort of equanimity that um, that I carry forward, and I don't expect it ever to change. But, uh, and that's the way these things go. You know, sometimes we just have to say, give it to me even more, and, and then we uh, we reach the goal. But at any rate, uh, after that I started walking around the island of Kauai, uh, one of the most beautiful places I've been. And as I'm walking, I'm starting to understand how things work. And one of the very first things was that we are in a system where we join God. And that that's the whole purpose of this existence on earth. Mm. That we eventually become the very thing that we are seeking. And God, you know, that that one kept me awake for a few nights, because that... You can
1: repeat that one one more time, actually. Go ahead and say that one more time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That that all the negative experiences, all the positive experiences, all our collective efforts eventually bring us to, not only to God, but we become the very thing that we have been seeking. Mm. That that oneness... Is actually us, and uh, as I understand, that kept me awake for nights. You know, just thinking of the wonder of that, and uh, and then shortly after that, on my walks, I started understanding that we are not limited to one lifetime. And you notice the way I said that, <laughs> because a lot of people, <laughs> when we start talking about reincarnation, they say, "Oh no, no, this is it, man." Well, life is far more grand than that. And so I started understanding, you know, one of the things that bugs me me and a lot of other folks is, is God capricious? Is God, does he play favorites? Does he make some of us healthy, wealthy, and wise, and the other people uh, have to starve in Sudan? How does that work? You know, the theology of it is beyond me. I don't understand how people can look at the, the, the way things are and not come to some really grisly conclusions. Like God is not paying attention or God doesn't exist. But if you have the idea that we are here more than once, as a matter of fact, it is my firm belief, that we experience everything that there is to experience. In other words, at some point in our past lives, we are male, female, rich, poor, uh, sinner, saint, uh, you know, the whole business, and that uh, our journey carries us forward until we have experienced all of it. And so, if you have that viewpoint, then you can look at the world and say, by God, it all does make sense. <laughs>
1: it really does. And if we go a step further and say, I am not just this person that I see myself as, the identity I've taken on. This is just the straw that I'm looking through. It it makes acceptable the other individuals and the roles that they're playing in our lives as well. Uh, and, and it becomes that. It becomes uh, a beautiful part of a play that we are experiencing rather than the do- things done to us or the the experiences that we've had uh, defeating us or raising us. It It becomes part of that experience of goodness and godness that we each are, and so you're saying that in that ability to embrace even the thought of reincarnation, we have the embrace of every possibility in every life and every experience, whether it be in this lifetime or had been experienced in another.
2: Oh, precisely. I like to think of it as all of us are actors on the stage, and we're given scripts uh, that we must uh, adhere to. But there is a grand maestro, and by golly, it's a wonderful play if you start seeing it the way it really is. And there are more dimensions than just this one, and I want to emphasize that, that as time goes on, I started to have glimpses of other dimensions. And what happens after we experience enough lifetimes, there's enough balance, And this may be that magical lifetime for a lot of the listeners out there, because when it's time, we are drawn to shows like you are doing right now and that you are facilitating uh, people to understand more so that they can progress and uh, hopefully have many of the same experiences that I did. Now, in, in my case, I discovered this beautiful land, and I found out how things really work. Now, what happens after that? I mean, uh, do you just stand there with this awareness? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs>
2: no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, when we are giving, given these pearls of wisdom, uh, they, are, they are given to us because we must use them. And the way that we use them is by helping other people. That's the way this game works. And so after all these magical experiences, and finally, uh, the book goes into a lot of detail about this, but I ended up uh, having, regaining that experience of oneness and so on. But I also had to return to normal life, you know? That's the way the game works. And so all the experiences I had over the past 30 years have led me to today, uh, where uh, earlier this morning, I was seeing patients in the office. Well, so how does that work, you know? Well, I am a different physician than I was when I started, because now I'm using metaphysics and my understanding of how things are to help people in ways that, are, that have not been possible for me, at least, uh, before. And I work through the chakra system, and I wish we had time to talk about all that, but I can tell you this, that if you want to go to a, a practitioner that is going to help you with things that don't don't involve medication and surgery, um, going to someone that understands the chakra system and the energetic basis of healing is where you want to be. And if, uh, the other thing I want to emphasize is that um, there is a very definite pathway for us to follow, like you say, that we craft ourselves, And that the the things that we, uh, the negative aspects of our own personality, which are sometimes called the seven deadly sins, uh, hate, anger, jealousy, lust, pride, selfishness, uh, I've probably forgotten one. I almost always do. But anyway, these are the pathway to the virtues. And if you think about those non-virtues, hate, anger, jealousy, lust, what is the opposite of them? The opposite of them is love in one way or another. And so we we use the non-virtues in order to uh, arrive at the place that I arrived at. And once we have that, then what we are living is a a love-based life. And so we need to give that to other people.
1: That's
2: my message.
1: You know, I, it, it it just makes it so true that if we look at the, if we want to see the end of something, we really just need to look at the beginning because everything really does. Um, well, what they say is it comes full circle, but what I believe is it be, it becomes full spiral, and that we are constantly evolving as long as we are willing to involve ourselves and and allow ourselves to go to the inner universe to reach a greater expression of ourselves in this outer universe and so I want to thank you for being on the show, for writing this book for sharing yourself and opening the eyes and the mind to the possibility that we are more than what we think, that we live in dimensions beyond the one that we can see, feel, hear, touch and taste that there is a place between now and when and that sometimes our death It's what creates our aliveness. My guest today is Richard House, and his book is Between Now and When, How My Death Made My Life Worth Living. You can find out more about him at richardhousemd.com. I urge you to go take a look at what he's about and what he's doing and pick up this book. It is a delightful read, and it will allow you to expand into more of the magic in your own life, knowing that you are fully guided. Join me next week, as always. In love, of love, with love and ask love. I am Simran. Be
0: well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.